Welcome to the Boiled Owl Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting where we talk about our experience sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live and lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Don. Hi, I'm Sam. Sam, how are you today? I'm cold, Don. It is cold. Yes, it is. How are you? I'm I'm good. I've got some hot coffee. It's keeping me warm, and I'm just sitting here recovering as hard as I possibly can. With beads of frozen sweat. The the beads of sweat of the strain of recovery <laughs> are frozen on my brow. Actually, it's not a strain. I heard somebody say uh, when he first got sober, he thought recovery was about bearing down. And actually, it's about letting go. That's so hard to do, though. I mean, you know, one of the things big time was that white knuckling bit when when I first started, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that it is a bearing down is what it feels like when you come in. Because you don't does. know how to not drink. I didn't know how to relax. Yeah. Now well, Drinking's the only thing that let me relax. Yeah, I relax now by having 15 cups of coffee in quick succession. <laughs> and now you vibrate. <laughs> and that's relaxing. We have a guest. We do? Yes, he's vibrating right here oh, across the microphone from us. I am vibrating. My goodness, it must be your energies. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't vibrating before I got here. Introduce yourself. My name is Chess, and um, yeah, I've been in the program for 14 years. Excellent. Yeah. Glad you're here, Chess. Thanks, Thanks. for coming. Yes. Thanks. Big time. Thanks for joining us at the virtual coffee house. Yeah, I've got my coffee and I'm ready to go. Well, we will start the way that we always start. What was the crisis that brought you to AA? What was it about your drinking that brought you to AA? I think everything was a crisis. Uh, for me, <laughs> my entire life was a crisis. Um, I was in a had a small business and in a relationship and... In my business, things had gotten pretty tough. Um, the market had turned down and uh, people weren't spending money like they used to spend money and I was afraid. Um, not only that, I used my business as an excuse, since I owned my own business, to uh, be able to drink. So I spent my days um, serving my clients alcohol and uh, getting them good and <laughs> tight so they would maybe spend more money and in the meantime I got pretty tight myself um, which is perfect for an alcoholic right to uh, have a job like that yeah, absolutely nice thing about being your own boss absolutely <laughs> who's gonna fire me yeah. and especially you can get your clients to drink with you exactly I never felt alone <laughs> um, you were a haberdasher I was I was um, a man of the cloth and um, <laughs> So they say chintz and velvet. And <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I was, uh, things were, things were getting pretty bad. And, uh, my significant other and I drank together every evening. We'd get home from work and actually we wouldn't necessarily go home. We'd meet each other at a little bar in town. And, um, we always joked about it. If, if we had more than three beers, we were going to be there until 10 o'clock. And we never had less than three beers. I mean, <laughs> what's the point? And you were uh, there till 10 o'clock. I was there at least till 10 o'clock. And uh, sometimes it wouldn't be as late, but the uh, cons cons mm -hmm. um, the rate of consumption uh, was pretty intense. So that we went on with a lifestyle like that for a really long time. And um, I remember one weekend we were out having a good time and I took my significant other home put him to bed and he passed out fairly quickly. I think I had to lay across him for a few minutes, but once he was asleep, <laughs> um, I got up and got down in my car and he wasn't like struggling. This wasn't some, some murder. Was it? Oh, no, I no, no, lay no. Across I him until he quit. I put the pillow across. Yeah, him. I was <laughs> about the pillow. Finally, yeah. he fell I, asleep. I choked him out. <laughs> no, we, uh, he, it's sort of this thing where we, you know, if you get in bed, you're going to, you're supposed to make out and all that stuff. Well, I wasn't really into that. I just wanted to drink. So mm. if I laid across him just for a couple minutes, he would go to sleep. He's pretty much the same way now, but um, <laughs> without the alcohol. At any rate, we, um, we, we uh, he, I went out again 
And uh, when I came back in several hours later, after having several more drinks and buying some um, really interesting black art, I mean, it was just sort of dark, this Grimm's fairy tales um, art from an artist locally. It was just, it wasn't. Anyway, it was, it was a, a drunken purchase. <laughs> uh, fortunately, I like this artist, so it's, yeah. it's okay. At any rate, we, uh, the next morning we, we woke up and um, he was pretty much almost dead. I mean, it was, he was so sick. And it was the first day that I had ever heard him say he wasn't going to work. Oh, wow. And um, I had known for some time. I, I was in Alcoholics Anonymous um, at that time, 10 years prior. In fact, we, the day that he and I met, our first sort of date, was the night that I started drinking again. So um, wow. while we sort of, that was the, the, the sort of bookends, my drinking was things that happened with him, first meeting him and then thinking he's going to die. And uh, I remember saying, uh, I got a friend to come over and sit with him while I went to a meeting because I knew that's, I knew that's what worked. And I'd said all along in a joking manner, I'm, I'm clearly an alcoholic, <laughs> mm -hmm. but it was always sort of a, just a joke. Uh, so how long were you in AA before? I was in AA just a few months. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, rather uh, three or four months. Yeah. What does it say? Say a uh, head full of AA and a beer full of belly is a, of beer. <laughs> is, is a yeah. bad mixture, yeah. bad combination. Yeah. Well, Bad enough for 10 years. Ten, uh, wow. I drank solid for 10 years. But it gave you enough to know what an alcoholic is. I knew I knew what an alcoholic I always knew. I think even before the first time I went into AA. Oh, really? Uh, I, I didn't. Knew. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I always felt like I drank. I knew I drank too much. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know how to quit. And uh, But I did know, after having been in AA for a little bit, that there was a way. And I just had to give into it. And giving into it meant knowing that my partner was going to die uh, and that I had to be the one that did it. Um, I mean, I was the one that got in the car and left <laughs> to go drink more. So uh -huh. I knew that the problem, it was perhaps both of our problems, but I knew it was my problem that I had to fix yeah. and um, that I had to be responsible for. So I, I went to a meeting. I'm pretty sure that that first meeting I went to was just a women's meeting and they let me stay. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was perfect. It was exactly yeah. what I needed. And maybe that's not true. It may have been just a regular meeting with a bunch of women. I don't, all I remember is the feeling of, um, there was a table in the middle of the room with chairs around it that we were sitting in that I just wanted to crawl up on the table and like get in the fetal position and just relax. And it felt like I did that. I mean, I, I felt safe. I felt, um, people who cared about me immediately, people who knew exactly what I was going through. And uh, it was just a, an immediate sort of letting go. Um, I mean, that was, that was that sort of spiritual moment that you don't think of as a spiritual moment until you reflect on it. Right. Uh, it really was for me. And um, I just, it just ceased that day. And I remember going back home. And this is what I try to remember whenever there are times when I think a drink would be a good idea. Uh, I went back home and my partner was still really sick. And uh, I caught in the meantime, called the doctor and said, he's really sick. I, I feel like crap, but he's really sick. And uh, the doctor said to give him a drink. And mm -hmm. um, I, I got a highball glass and I poured gin up to the top with some ice in it. And I remember putting him in the shower and had these big glass doors and the wall was black behind him. And I remember looking at him in the shower through the steam and the water coming down. And if you've ever seen uh, a little baby chip coming out of an egg, that sort of frail, tiny little thing with the, just their arms gathered yeah. up at their sides yeah. and their hands, when he was holding his cup, I mean, literally looked like a little baby chick there with all the wings plucked off of him. And that's the image that helps me now. It scares me because that image was, okay, the next step is death. And it just wasn't. I didn't want that for my life or his. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's, that's, uh, that was the, one of the crises was just the two of us drinking too much and, and being, you know, I could have died driving in the car or killed someone else or all those terrible things that could have happened. But he could have died just standing in the shower mm -hmm. um, from the poison that effectively had um, invaded his body. And, uh, yeah. So, 
that was my introduction to AA the second time. Um, other crises, you know, it's sort of the big book talks about the farmer and the tornado and the farmer and his wife go down in the, the cellar of their, uh, at the farm there and tornado goes through and they throw back the cellar door and walk out and, you know, it's not so bad, mom, yeah. <laughs> or whatever. Uh, you know, that's... Ain't it grand the wind stopped blowing? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And the wreckage that was around, the wreckage was all still there. I still had to deal with my business. I still had to deal with my partner. Uh, I still had to deal with uh, people that I had to engage with every day that, you know, my good drinking buddies. Sure. Um, you still had to deal with your whole life. <laughs> yeah, I still had to... Yeah, things didn't just, like, clean up overnight. And um, you know, so my story... You know, part of my story is that time of sort of figuring out what that looked like. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't easy. Uh, it wasn't easy. You know, the doctor um, for us had prescribed some medication to take the edge off when we were hungover, especially. And, um, you know, so even, even that after I got sober, I thought was okay. And what was doctor prescription sort of thing, and that's important to take your meds when your doctor prescri prescribes it. Um, it wasn't, I realized one day when, uh, the pill became really important when I had to deal with some shit that I didn't want to deal with. And I, I took a pill to help me. Uh -huh. And, um, you know, I told a friend about it, but I didn't tell my sponsor until a no, few days later, <laughs> a few days later, I told my sponsor and my sponsor said, well, why didn't you call me first? You know, you knew what you were doing. You were clearly taking this to make yourself feel better to get out of something. And uh, I was like, well, yeah, but I told Bob and he said, well, Bob's not your sponsor. Maybe you should have Bob as your sponsor. And he fired me. He was My sponsor fired me. And wow. uh, it was actually um, that was a, a great a, wake up call. It's too. a lesson. Yeah, Absolutely. because it's, you're turning to you're turning to your own thinking mm -hmm. and trusting your own thinking. Yeah. And what I had learned was I can't trust my thinking. Yeah. Uh, particularly at the beginning, I can't trust my thinking in, in anything really because my thinking was always to find some way to get out of the way I was feeling. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, that's that was a um, sort of turning point. I don't even remember. That may have been two weeks in. It may have been a weekend. I don't remember exactly mm -hmm. the timing of that. But I remember it being a sort of impactful moment uh, when I had to get a new sponsor. That's interesting. So so a week or two in, yeah, you already had a sponsor then. Yeah, I think this time when I went back, I was I jumped right in. Yeah. And um, one of the things that was really nice was getting out and going to a, a variety of meetings. Um, you know, it's it's going places and, and meeting new people um, and hearing different ways that people recovered and finding those places that I was comfortable uh, at. I'm a pretty um, buttoned up kind of guy. I don't like to think of myself that way, but I am. And um I tended to want to go to the worst meeting in town. I wanted to go to the roughest place with the bikers. And, <laughs> uh -huh. uh, I wanted to go where I didn't really fit in because I didn't, I didn't know that I could deal with people that were like me. But I could certainly identify with people who weren't like me because they could understand how horrible I felt about myself. It's sort of this That's class game that I played in my head. And... Um, I felt exactly the opposite. I was like, I wanted, I did not want to go to where people were not like me. Yeah. I, I, you know, I didn't fit in with, I, I think it was because I identified with the bikers who were there because things were really raw. And I say mm -hmm. bikers. It was just a rougher crowd in this neighborhood uh, club that I would go to. And it was probably a meeting that had a lot of, um, a newer people in it. A lot so. of, yeah, it was a, there were a lot of Beginners. people. They were still smoking back then. And there was one side of the room where you wouldn't smoke. <laughs> and I always sat over there. Um, I remember that. You'd still walk out <laughs> smelling like a cigarette. But well, there was like <laughs> a, yeah. one half the room was smoke free. But I mean, it wasn't smoke free. All the smoke was just going to. That's exactly right. It was one big cloud in that room. Um, but it was, it was the place where I got to hear people who really struggled and who were really had gone, things had gone pretty pretty poorly for them. And I identified with that. I did identify with that. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't, I didn't identify with riding a Harley, but I, I identified with the feelings. I identify with all the feelings. That's what, where we need to focus. Yeah. And I don't think I could have at that time, I don't know that I could have heard it from someone quote like me. I don't know that mm -hmm. I would have identified. I, I might've been like, Oh yeah, but you don't know what it's like to be me. I think that's what 
I, I mean, I just needed that sort of differentiation, but I went to lots of meetings. Um, fortunately, I still own my own business. I had a great uh, staff that worked for me at the time. And when I said I was going to the meetings, I said, good, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> go and, to. Uh, yeah. Surprise. And these are people who drank, but they were, they were, they were encouraging me. I, clearly, they knew that I had a problem. Uh, and they also knew, I think they could tell the difference immediately that something was going on with me and that something was changing and that I was getting my shit together yeah. and um, or wanted to get my shit together. I wasn't uh -huh. necessarily getting it together for a while. Uh, but yeah, I would go to those meetings. Maybe you were easier to get along with. <laughs> I was easier to get along with once I started getting sober. I mean, I didn't realize... Gee. I wasn't really aware of what I was projecting all the time, and mm -hmm. I was pretty angry with my employees a lot. Yeah, I think that I was and probably, I, I don't know that I was, I think I was probably a pretty easygoing employer, mm -hmm. um, but probably what they had to deal with was the things that I avoided, and that was probably harder than dealing with me being drunk. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think them... They had to deal with, uh, at the time, creditors calling or <laughs> the IRS calling. I'm glad this is an anonymous thing. Uh, <laughs> you know, whoever, the tax collector, everybody, the, the companies, you know, business was not good at that time. And I was having to deal with the uh, repercussions of business not being good by no fault of my own. I was doing everything right. Just right. external circumstances that I had to deal with. And... Yeah, that was but I think I avoided dealing with those things so much that it made it harder for them to work. So are you saying that alcoholics tend to avoid responsibility? Yeah, <laughs> this alcoholic did. I don't know about you alcoholics. Yeah. And I tend to do that now. I have a uh, very, you know, even with a few years sober, um, I'm still in, I'm still me. And I still have those tendencies to want to avoid dealing with things. Um, and I've talked about, talked about this a lot how amazing it was in my life when my sponsor later in my recovery uh, suggested that I take the phone calls and work with the people and tell them what's going on. Since, like I said, it was no fault of my own that business was in the tank. Pretty much theirs were too. And all they wanted was someone to be responsive to them. And once I started doing that, once I started, you know, talking to the IRS and working out a plan, once I started, you know, with all of my vendors and saying to them, hey, y'all know what's happening out there. Can we work something out? Things began to turn around. And um, they, once again, became my friends. And uh, so, you know, after that, I think I, I closed my business, uh, not because business wasn't good, but because I was ready to make a change in my life. That's what happens in AA. Sometimes you start living differently and mm -hmm. things have to change. And um, several years later, I made a change. And when I changed and, and did that, those vendors who had stuck with me all those years, who I had to work with early on in my recovery, ended up being really helpful and um, helped me to go out of business in a really healthy way. And, um, you know, while they were selling me merchandise, you know, half price so I could so I could sell at half price and still make money. <laughs> wow. So it was really a, uh, you know, that was a blessing, a later on blessing of, of, Repairing those relationships and, and, and being a responsible business person, which was not something I necessarily had done. Yeah. When I wasn't, even when things were good, I had a hard time paying my bills I just because I was not good at we it. We don't you know? do that. Yeah. I, I was the same way. Oh, and, and it was one of the, I mean, I had the money in the bank and the bills were sitting on the table and they were not going to get paid. Mm -hmm. But I love that you're bringing up the, um, the, the cleaning up of your financial wreckage. Mm -hmm. um, that's something that. Uh, in my experience, was certainly not part of my early recovery. It was something that came many years later. Mm -hmm. And I tend to hear that to be the case for a lot of us, mm -hmm. is that it's, it's, a, it's a scary thing to deal with. Mm -hmm. I mean, money and, and financial responsibility and all that is like, how do I bring my program into that? Mm -hmm. No way. Mm -hmm. It's overwhelming. Yeah. I mean, that, that sort of thing is overwhelming, and it's like... I, I didn't know where to begin with in, with any of it, and then having a sponsor was the was the answer because he'd just go, let's just take the first thing mm -hmm. and take care of that, and then take the next little step, and then Small take care jokes. of that, yeah. yeah, which is the way to get out of out of anything. But it was 
not natural. <laughs> Absolutely yeah. not. And, and then for me, too, it was one of those things, um, that perfectionism thing mm -hmm. of, well, I can't do all of this. I can't take care of all of this, so I'm not even going to start. Right. <laughs> right. And that's where I needed yeah. the guidance of sponsorship and trusted friends in the program mm -hmm. to say, Sam, this and, is how to do this. And mm -hmm. catastrophe. Catastrophizing. Oh, catastrophizing. If I were to start doing it, I'm going to, they're going to throw me in jail. Oh, or yeah. Whatever. Something. Thank God we don't have debtors' prisons. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> the the worst will happen. Yeah. When you were when you were describing talking to the creditors when you finally decided to do it, it sounded like that uh, expression I heard. It was fear. You walked through the fear mm -hmm. and made the contact, and it was entirely different than what you expected. I think you told me this, Sam. Uh, fear is uh, a mile high and a mile wide, but an inch thick. Yeah. Maybe it's a quarter of an inch. Paper thin. Paper thin. thin. That's good. Yeah. Mile high, a mile wide, and paper, paper thin. thin. That's true. Yeah, and I, I um, you know, we're talking program here. I decided with a lot of those vendors to say, I, I'm recovering. I messed up a lot of things, and I'm trying to do better, and I need your help. And most of, and I, and I don't recommend that necessarily for everybody with everything, but for my situation, it seemed... Um, and I wasn't trying to get over on anybody, anything. I was literally just saying, I just need some help. I just need y'all to cut me some slack for a minute and yeah. let me catch my breath and I'll work with, I'll, I'll answer every call you make to me. Yeah. If you'll understand and you'll work with me and not be mean to me. <laughs> you showed and you up and you were honest. Yeah. And, and they responded to that really well. In fact, a couple of them said, Oh, good for you. My brother's in, I mean, you know, it's always mm. ended up being my dad or, Oh, the owner of the company, let me put you in touch with him. Mm. I mean, it was always, oh, wow. it always worked out. Um, but I, I think that was a really smart, depending on the situation. Like I don't, if I were working with a sponsee about this, I would be really cautious about doing that. Um, but I do think in some situations, it's not necessarily a bad idea to be able to just really be honest with when you're, when it's that bad. Sometimes just being honest with somebody mm -hmm. eliminates a lot of um, fear and concern. And a lot of the concern on their end, especially when they're, they're used to you not paying bills or they're used to you, you not taking care of what you're calling the back or whatever. When you finally do talk to them and say, okay, look, I've been drunk for five years. <laughs> um, they hopefully will respond to that in a positive, positive way. So I had good luck, but I would not do that without talking to someone at, you know, a trusted oh, sure. person first and, and getting a sponsor to say, yeah, that's okay in this situation. You know, some people, I, I hear people talking about uh, child, what do they call it, when you pay uh, child, child support, support, that sort of thing. Like, how do you, right. you know, doing that. And those situations, I think you have to be careful uh, of yeah, it, it needs to the every, courts and to whomever. Every situation needs to be looked at individually. That's right. But generally speaking, to approach somebody uh from a position of complete honesty mm -hmm. and they, if they can feel that you're being honest mm -hmm. and that you're not going to duck this anymore right. and that you want to address it and you want to work out a solution. And I'm, you know, I'm going to do everything in my power to take care of this. What can we do mm -hmm. it, to come with that approach to it? It almost always you get a positive response. Mm -hmm. Well, let's look at this in another way. I mean, this is, is technically this is ninth step work. This is making amends mm -hmm. to creditors. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And part of the making of amends is not doing it again, right. not doing what we were doing. Well, what we were doing in those cases was not just that we weren't paying them, but we were avoiding them. We were not communicating with them. We were lying to them in some cases, all these things. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot more harm done there or actions taken negatively against them mm -hmm. than just not paying. Them. Absolutely. We yeah, have, right. we've lied to them and, and, and avoided them. So uh, reassuring them that we're not doing that. Mm -hmm. we're, we are not going to avoid you. We're going to take your phone calls. We're going to call you back. Mm -hmm. We're going to pay you when we say we are paying. Mm -hmm. All of this is going to happen is a big part of this financial amendment. Mm -hmm. Right. And well, it certainly does bring about some goodwill in most cases. Yeah. And nobody, nobody, when I would say to them, I'm going to pay you and I would, I would, Go in there with the lowest amount. That's why my sponsor was my sponsor was pretty smart about this. He's like, no, don't overdo it. Do what you can really do. Pay what you can really pay. And when I did that, 
they always said yes. I was sure they were going to say, oh, no, we need for you to play this much every month. When I would, I'd go in there with this low figure, again, I wasn't trying to get over on somebody. I was trying to make sure I did it. And if mm -hmm. I did it with a small amount, eventually that big chunk of money was going to be paid back and all would be well. And it, that's the way it worked. And when I was able to pay more, it was you know amazing how when you send a little extra, they call you and thank you, even though you're <laughs> nine months behind. <laughs> you know? right. So just getting that done uh, and actually having the conversations with people who call you back and say, okay, so you, we're all paid up. We're ready to ship your next season. We're going to give you terms. Are you going to be okay? Yes. I mean, to be able to build that confidence back up yeah. with people uh, was really good. I mean, it's. I have to say that probably the hardest thing um, I hear from sponsees and from other people in the program have been these sort of financial, fixing your financial past. Yeah, <laughs> it can be. Uh, it's, I, so many people struggle with that. And it's something that there's so much shame involved right. with it. We're such a money-driven society. And, and what's one of the things that will send a person back out in a heartbeat? Mm -hmm. That sense of guilt and shame. And fear. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That's what we drink at. Yes. Absolutely. That's what we drink at. And so that's what the steps are. That's what the program is to get at the very things that I've got inside of myself that I'm like ashamed of mm -hmm. that or that I'm drinking at. Right. Insecurity. What are some other things that that you would say? You So one was financial fear. Yeah. Uh, uh, fear of failure. I mean, any sort of, you know, I, here I had my own business and um, fear that, you know, people would just not come to me or right. whatever. That was just a, a huge fear. Um, other fears. Gosh, Don. Well, is it, is, that's so a good question. Having, having been a business owner myself, I mean, I know that one of the things that I struggled with has been um, that fear of looking bad. Right. Right. I don't look good to my peers, to my clients, to the mm -hmm. community, because I'm not doing it right. I'm not running my business right. I have failed in my business. Mm -hmm. All these things can come into play in, in, in my head whenever I'm, I'm like, let them loose, mm -hmm. which is why I've got this, this program to help me not, quote unquote, let them loose. Mm -hmm. But I have a way to actually methodically, programmatically go through this and take anything that's driving me nuts, anything that's eating my lunch, anything that is on my mind when I go to bed, mm -hmm. anything that is on my mind when I wake up at three in the morning, <laughs> yeah. um, anything that's the first thing on my mind when I wake up in the morning, those are the things that I need to run through the steps mm -hmm. with a sponsor. Because if I try to do it on my own, I'm going to fool myself. Mm -hmm. Consistently, I will look at it from the wrong perspective. Mm -hmm. And a sponsor helps me see other perspectives that are a lot less about me. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, how things work where I fit into the rest of what's going on around me. Absolutely. Yeah, my sponsor isn't, isn't, doesn't share my personal insecurities. He has yeah. his own insecurities, not my insecurities. So when he looks yeah. at it, he can share it. I know the first time in recovery, it's something I learned in recovery that I could say uh, I don't know. Yes. And that was not something that I would ever say before. Yes. And I was talking with a designer. And, of course, I'm concerned that because I'm a, an artist and uh, I work with uh, designers in people's homes. And so I would um, feel like that I always had to know the answer to anything they said. And the designer mm -hmm. said, I want you to draw on the wall coins on the side. Of the, of the building, like it's a stone wall. You know what a coin, coins are. And I went, uh, no. And <laughs> it's a good thing I said no, because it was entirely different. The coins are the, the blocks that on the, on the, on a right angle on a wall, sometimes you'll see a larger block that goes in and out, staggered at different lengths. Mm -hmm. Those are the coins on the side of the building. <laughs> so we would have had money painted all over the building. Big quarters. Quarters on the side of the wall. I'm glad I had money on the wall. Serious. So I learned something just by saying And it was perfectly okay. There was yeah. no... Because what I would have done is said, oh, yes, I know, and then looked it up. And then... 
figured it out. Eventually. Eventually. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. You know, I was just a having a conversation with a sponsee about this a couple days ago, and that was one of the earliest lessons that I got in AA was saying, I don't know. And then I would often follow it up depending on the situation. If it was something that is in my field and I ought to know, I don't know, but I'll find out. Mm-hmm. And I'll get back with you. That's that and, perfectionism, too. It's, oh, it's, yes. it's absolutely perfectionism to, to want to have the answer. You know, in, in my vocational call right now, people ask me a question that I think should be, you know, even if it's a hard, if it's a really hard question, I think I should know. You know, three years of graduate school. I should know the answer to that question. Absolutely. And I don't. And it's this fear of not looking perfect or uh, whatever. And I had, yep. I had uh, a colleague point that out to me recently. I was saying to her, to her I said, I, I'm so afraid that somebody's going to ask me a question and I'm not going to know the answer. And she said, just tell them you don't know and tell them to stop by your office and y'all can look it up together, you know, and find out the answer. She goes, that's a lot more effective than making something up oh, or wow. feeling Isn't stupid that or whatever. Right. Isn't yeah. that great? Yeah. So it was a, that was a real gift uh, from, from a colleague at work. And, uh, yeah, we talk about those, the fear of failure. Um, so many people, I read a book recently, I think it's, uh, I think it's Brene Brown, I think is her name. Um, I wish I could remember the title, but she was talking about nobody laughs at the guy who's, who tries something and, falls flat on his face in failure when he stands back up and, yeah. and goes back at it. And that's true. We don't, we, in society, we just, all we can, we can't get past falling on your face. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just when you don't get back up, that's the problem. And I think of that with my folks that come back into the program. I mean, they, they fall on their face and they drink and, and they really have crises in their lives that they, they're having to deal with and they can't get back. And it's just so painful. But when they come back, we're all so grateful to see them. We're not yes. looking at their failure right. because they drank. That's not a failure at all. If you're walking back through the doors and picking up a chip. Uh, you're absolutely right. We're glad to see you. That's and, and the we're difference. not pointing at you. We're not talking about you. It's, absolutely. Welcome back. How can yeah. we help? Thank God you're here. Yeah. yeah there's, it's, it's only by failing at that dr- controlling drinking that we give up. Mm-hmm. So we have to fail and lose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's... Well, I remember early path. on, either a sponsor or somebody in a meeting said something, uh, speaking of perfection, um, the only thing I had to do right, now, there, I had all these other more, like I had all these bills to pay, I had, you know, my sex life was in, I mean, everything was in ruins, it seemed, at the time, and um, the only thing I had to do right was not drink. That was the only thing I had to do. I think I, I talked to a friend on the phone one time about that. We had a conversation where I would say, you know, all you have to do is not drink. Fuck all the other stuff. Don't worry about the other stuff. Just don't drink. Wait a minute. Is this that conversation that you won't tell me about? <laughs> that you were drunk when you called me? Yeah. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And eventually you quit drinking. <laughs> and maybe it's because you didn't have to worry about all the other stuff that you were drinking at. Maybe so. Uh, mm-hmm. The alcohol. What is it? I, I really, the line from the big book that says that alcohol was but a symptom is is been the line that's been going through my mind a lot recently because of you know when you think of all the other stuff that goes along with life the alcohol was that symptom for me that that showed me the other diseased parts of my life the other parts that were broken mm-hmm. and um how grateful i am to have aa to help me sort of see those things and you know working the steps with a sponsor and and finding out what those things are so that i can be more proactive and um getting my shit together have yeah. a better life yeah. absolutely and it's yeah. not perfect no finding a stretch of the imagination but it's a hell of a lot better it's a work in progress yeah and i am a perfectionist because i haven't had a drink today <laughs> that's the only thing okay. even today that i can be responsible about so now you are a pastor i am so uh, Let's talk about God and how, what your journey was with that, because that was such a struggle. For, it's always an interesting topic, mm-hmm. uh, spirituality in AA. Mm-hmm. We turn our lives over to the God of our understanding. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean to you? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, yeah. Let's see. So I think early on there was... I couldn't imagine God at all. I mean, I couldn't imagine... 
with the wreckage of my life. Um, that's not true. I could imagine God. I could not imagine a God that would give a rat's ass about me because I was such a crappy human being. Um, and um, one of the early on things that I did, and um, it's not for everybody, but it was important for me because I'd grown up in a very strong faith tradition and, um, you know, having good pastoral care was important to me. And I knew a great pastor who had her act together and I met with her and I just broke down and said, you know, how can God stand me? I mean, this is, you know, God's so far away from me. I'm never going to be able to, you know, create a relationship with God. I've just, it's all terrible. Before or after you got sober? This is when, when I got sober. This is when you got sober, sober. yeah. Mm -hmm. And I was really struggling because mm -hmm. everybody talked about God all the time and everybody else seemed to have their act together with God. What um, does this mean? And mm -hmm. I couldn't even imagine that God would care for me. God's just moved so far away from me. And um, she asked me to practice something. And, it, and I say it all the time. And now it's kind of fun to go to a meeting and hear somebody else repeat what I've said. <laughs> um but she told me to just say this three-word prayer, be with me. That's all it was, ah. those three words. Mm -hmm. And um, I would just get up in the morning and say, be with me. And I didn't have to imagine what God looked like. I didn't have to do any of that. I mean, I, I tried. God knows I tried. I had a coffee cup for a long time in my little attic study that I would go in and just look at the coffee cup and say, well, that's God. I mean, I don't know why I needed something. I needed yeah. that solid something whatever mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. imagine. But by saying be with me over time, eventually I felt as if God was with me and God had not betrayed me or walked away from me or given up on me that God was with me. And I, that was manifest, I guess, <laughs> to, to use a word that sounds creepy in this context, um, by the fact that I was sober. Mm -hmm. um, the fact that I wasn't drinking the fact that slowly things in my life were sort of falling into place. And I can't attribute that to anything. I mean, I can attribute it to AA. I can say AA did this for me, but AA didn't do it. God did. Um, God did it. And I had to do the work. That's true. But um, God was, I eventually knew that God was present with me. And so, especially in, I, I joked one time in a meeting when I was speaking uh, at a speaker meeting about if you hear voices, go see a therapist or go see a doctor, go to the hospital. <laughs> like I joked about right. that one time, but it's, and everybody at the end of the meeting, like there was a line to talk to me and everybody told me their God experience because they all had had this sort of, oh. you know, well, God, this is what happened. I don't know if it was God or not, but that's, what, wow. but I had that experience, you know? And so I, when I talked about, you know, if you hear voices, it was just me making a joke at my own expense. The fact was, I had an experience where I was, when I closed my small business, locked the door for the very last time, uh, December 31st, 2007, and I thought to myself, oh no, what have I done? You know, I was sober for, at that point, five years. Um, at that very moment, honestly, there was a, it felt like somebody wrapped a warm blanket around me, and this voice in my head said, you don't have to be afraid. No, it said, child. You don't have to be afraid unless you want to be afraid. Now, wow. I love that sort of those words because I could never have been smart enough to come up with them on my own. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not going to call myself child. Yeah. I don't know if that was God. I don't know if that was, I don't care who it was. Right. I heard it and it made me feel safe and I wasn't, I didn't have to be afraid. And that was a scary time. Closing my business was a, a step of faith into something else that I had never imagined myself doing. And to hear that sort of affirmation and truth, because you don't have to be afraid. You could be in any circumstance. You don't have to be afraid. Right. Yeah. Um, and to hear that and know that that was true uh, was so reassuring. And I, I will tell you that every person who ever tells me that they have those experiences, they aren't things like you better get your act together or, they're not mean things. Right. They are always true and comforting and caring words. So I think there's a good way to differentiate between the voices <laughs> that some people <laughs> hear yeah. and the voice 
and the experience of a of, of caring God. And so I, I have had that experience, and I think that's that experience is shared with a lot of people um, in different ways. But they we have those experiences, and um, I mean I, I pray that everybody has that experience. So it know, would be nice. Yeah, it would, it would be, be nice. nice. Not everybody gets yeah. it. I got to have a spiritual experience that was, uh, it was something that I felt. And so it's something that happened to me. And since it happened, it was real. You know, this is a real thing that happened to me. And it doesn't really matter whether anyone else believes it or doesn't believe it or or whatever. It's, it's a knowledge that I have asking for help and I got help. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually heard a voice. And it was in my, it was my voice. It was my own voice in my head, but it wasn't my thinking. Mm-hmm. Exactly as you said. I mean, it wasn't your thinking going child. Mm-hmm. In my case, it was my, it wasn't my own uh, thinking saying you need to go through this pain instead of trying to get out of it mm-hmm. and you will be able to do it. Yeah. And I never before have I thought to myself, I need to go through pain before that day. (laughs) Now I understand that I need to go through Mm -hmm. uh, difficult experiences and I can get through to the other side because I have tools to deal with it. Right. But the voice in my head, that was, I mean, you could say I was crazy. Yeah. And you, you, one could mock it, but the fact is it happened to me and it was real. Yeah. And it was, and it was a voice that it said something to you that was truth mm-hmm. and that it was not a condemnation or, uh, there was every voice that I hear people talk about is a voice of love yes. and caring yeah. and someone telling you that you have to go through pain and you'll be okay and you can do it is a voice of love. And I think that's God and yeah. that's as God to me as I can get. Yeah. Um, and I don't need much more than that. So yes, I'm a pastor now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, get to work with people of all different faiths, and um, that's one of the gifts of the work that I'm doing. Is I work with a lot of different faith groups, and um, I get to hear their experiences with God as they understand God, and uh, that's a real gift for me because I, 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 you know, I just after having an experience like I did, um, or have have had, um, it's really. I love hearing everybody else's experience in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I hear Don's story of that sort of spiritual awakening or gift, spiritual gift, when I hear um, someone who in pastoral care comes to me and says that has a real ba- bad uh, self-image problem and they really are acting out in a, in a really unhealthy way and they come back to me and they say, I prayed that be with me prayer for a week and I heard a voice and, you know, <laughs> the voice said, I love you. Mm-hmm. When, when somebody has that experience, that's life changing experience because it's not just this interior voice that does something for you. It's something external. It's something beyond our own minds, whatever that, whatever that energy is that can do that for us. It's just a real gift. Um, so that's, that's one of the joys of, my pastoral vocation is working with people in those experiences, having those experiences, people who are getting married, people who are having to have funerals in their lives, all these sort of liminal places in their lives that I get to go and experience those times with them is uh, a gift that I could not have had. If I were drinking, I would be terrible at this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'd be terrible. Um, but you wouldn't remember it. So it's I okay. wouldn't remember it. That's a, that's the best part. Yeah. Oh, those calls. You know, I think one of the things that um, is is really critical for me, and it was hugely more so when I first came into these rooms, um, hearing what you two were just talking about about a voice, mm-hmm. a, 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 a hearing of someone, uh, was um, would have scared me off mm-hmm. because I was so to what I grew up in Mm -hmm. that I wouldn't be able to hear what you said without hearing what I grew up in. Right. Right. And I love that there's this thing in in the uh, the Alcoholics Anonymous book, uh, one of the appendices that is um, uh, about a spiritual experience. Mm -hmm. And it goes into talking about how some people have 
an instantaneous experience, but most of us have an educational variety. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a really important thing for us to talk about because some of us don't have that, that instant. Mm -hmm. We don't have that voice. Mm -hmm. um, and mine has been a little of both. Mm -hmm. And that's the interesting thing for me that, you know, six months sober, I'm flying on a plane the first time I've traveled in sobriety. And I'm a little afraid because I'm only six months sober. <laughs> and I've done my homework and I've found out where the meetings are in, in uh, this town outside of Albuquerque. You're afraid of in Albuquerque. Yes, uh -huh. I'm going to the drinking part of the family for the, uh, the, the New Year's holiday and all that. And I'm accompanying my grandmother and all. And getting on an airplane uh, in Detroit where we had a layover is where I found an AA medallion on the floor as we were walking the jetway. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was, you're going to be okay. <laughs> Especially the fact that nobody else picked it up, right? Because yeah. there were a dozen people in front of us. Yeah. So something like that was what that a coincidence. That it, was a it's coincidence. totally a coincidence. <laughs> uh, but um, I wish y'all could see me roll my eyes on yeah. that one. But, uh, but it was, it was one me of those too. things <laughs> at that moment that yeah. I needed that, but it was a reassurance. It wasn't the, um, the voice. It wasn't the, the, the thing saying, you know, I got you. Dum, dum, dum. Right. <laughs> it wasn't God. May you find him now, 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 now. now. <laughs> <laughs> but it was what I needed. Yeah. at that moment, and it allowed me to continue on the path of having that educational yeah. experience. Yeah. I say that coincidence like that is, is I've heard uh, Stuart H., uh, one of my professors in divinity school, said that coincidence is a minor miracle in which God wishes to remain anonymous. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's good. Mm -hmm. So, touched by an angel, Sam. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty cool stuff. Well, I think that's a good place to end or to move to our next segment. It's time for our old timers question from a listener. All right. Hey, who are you calling an old timer? Well, you're kind of old. <clears throat> All right. Good call. <laughs> it's still one day at a time, but that's what happens <laughs> if you stay sober long enough. Now listen up. Well, okay, so here is our quote-unquote question from the internet, a question from a newcomer. Uh, you'll be able to submit questions at uh, boiledowlaa.org. Um, this particular question, you know, i got to fess up, folks. I made it up, and I made it up totally out of my experience <laughs> because... Of our guest today. And so here we go with our quest, uh, question from Tom from Ontario. Uh, and that is I just went to my first AA meeting and saw someone I know. What do I do? And to give a little history on this one before we jump into answering something like that, Chess is the first person that I knew when I went to AA. I had gone to a handful of meetings, but there were people there that I didn't know. And I went to that clubhouse that Chess went to <laughs> with the Hayes, and <laughs> I saw him all the way across the room, and I thought, I think I know him. <laughs> and when the meeting was over and I couldn't get out the door fast enough, mm -hmm. Chess followed me out into the parking lot and said, hey, and we talked for a moment, mm -hmm. and it was a really big deal. So yeah. how did that feel so, when you saw him? Um... Inside the meeting, it was one of those things of um, a little bit of fear, but not so much. It was, you know, perhaps a bit of reassurance, too. Mm -hmm. um, and then going out when he, you know, I'm trying to get to my car and get the hell out of there because mm -hmm. I'm scared of you people. Right. <laughs> and Chess comes up and he was happy and, 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 uh, and welcoming and, and happy that I was there mm -hmm. and gave me his phone number and said, Call me, and I did drunk. Uh, <laughs> and he still his, won't I tell think me. He was on his roof, like hanging out of the window or something. I probably was. Does that sound right? Yes, no, it does. maybe on a porch or I don't, there's something about a uh, uh, mesh. There's in my mind the memory of this is a long time ago. Uh, was a screen, some sort of screen, and I'm not sure whether you'd move the screen out of the window when you're sitting on your 
roof or something like that. One of these days I'm going to find out all of the content of this call. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm pretty deep. Actually, it was short. The, the good news is it was very short because if somebody calls me drunk, uh, even then I had heard somebody say, you can't reason with somebody drunk. Mm-hmm. It's true. And I, th- and I learned that this program was attraction, not promotion. And as much as I wanted to sell you on how great it would be for you to be sober and for us to be buddies and hang out, uh, I couldn't do that. And I knew that that wouldn't work. Uh, and I so knew- this was a drunk call that you're talking about? Uh, yeah. At one, so he had given me his phone number at the meeting, and then I'm, getting, I'm still not done drinking yeah. at that mm-hmm. point. And I called him drunk. Yeah, and we curious had a, about AA. No, uh, probably crying in my beer type of thing. Crying. I'm drunk again, and I don't want to be. And my life uh, sucks, and I don't know what to do. But I don't want to go to AA. And... Yeah, we didn't say that, but he was drunk. Uh, <laughs> and I don't know what to do. I think is one of the things. And I said, well, one of the things is uh, that perfect thing that we do is not drink. Uh, <laughs> hey, Sam, call me back when you're not drunk. And I think eventually he did call me back when he wasn't drunk. You probably don't remember it. Um, but I think you called me a few times actually. Did I? Yeah. Uh, but they were all kind of curious, uh, conversations, but all related to I'm drunk now and I don't know what to do sort of thing. And I was like, well, you do know what to do. You just have to get sober. And tomorrow when you get up, go to a meeting, call me tomorrow. And he wouldn't call. Of course not. But eventually, eventually it worked. What? I remember you told me to go to uh, to uh, the Summit Club yeah, yeah. and sit on the sofa by that little old lady, Grace. Grace. And, uh, and I did. Yeah, Grace T. She was an amazing woman. She died several years ago. Uh, she was one of Long Stem Billy Rose's, Long Stem Billy Rose's Long Stem Roses or something like that. He had, he was a, she was a Esther Williams stand-in. Uh, for swimming and all. Anyway, she nice really and such. she was interesting. And she was early in Greensboro AA, Willie talked about her. Yeah, on our last uh, podcast. Wow. Well, God rest her. She was when they when people say may her memory be a blessing. Her memory is a blessing. Yeah. Because yeah. of things that she said, I still hear her talking in meetings about um, alcohol. What is it? The line of the book: Alcohol is patient. No, cunning, uh, baffling, cunning, baffling. Pity. And she says, I like to add. Patient. Yes. So patient. And uh, I just, I remember her saying that and the way she said it, the way she moved her hand and her head and everything. Amazing how something like that will yeah. stick, stick she, with you. She said it every time. Every, every time. <laughs> cunning, yeah. powerful, yeah. cunning, baffling, powerful, and patient. I like to add patient. That, that was it. Say. That was exactly yeah. um, Anyway, uh, she, she was an extraordinary woman. And yeah, uh, you know, at that point, I probably had started moving, moving around to different meetings when, when you went to Summit. Uh, and it was good to always see you there at that afternoon meeting right after I leave work at uh, a little early. I think the meeting started at five thirty, and um, or six, and we would get there, and it was always a good meeting. And um, yeah, so the question was, yeah. what do you do when you see somebody? Well, I'll tell you. It depends on, on what side of the equation you're on. So if you're in the program, um, if I had not run after Sam. Uh, and if I had not made an effort to reach out to someone uh, like a newcomer, mm-hmm. then maybe that newcomer would have never called me. I wouldn't have the relationship that I have with Sam now. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know Sam a little bit deeper than some people do in the program of like what a gift that is, you know. Um, and other instances, I mean, that's one thing in, in my home group. We, do, I think it's a really friendly home group, and when people come in uh, for the first time. It's not to scare them; it's to welcome them. We we all are are friendly, and you know people want to give numbers and they want people to feel like they can come back and feel safe in that place. Uh, that's really important. On the flip side of it, um, sometimes when somebody you know some sometimes somebody being nice to you is all you need to go back. If yeah. you go to a meeting and everybody's jerk and nobody has anything good to say, I mean, I, I went to a meeting with a newcomer one time, and the chair of the meeting said something. Just he was kidding, and he said something about if I don't get something out of this meeting, I'm going to go home and kill myself. He was being funny, right? He, he and he people giggled, that. all right. But my newcomer friend said, "This is not for me." Wow, these people are going to say yeah. things like that. Not, you know. Eventually, you know, several years later, he's starting to sort of think about meetings and and going to meetings. But they'll be, you know, he'll be looking for a different place to go than where he went, just because that scared him. Absolutely. Um, so. 
And you don't hear stuff like that very often. Usually, you know, people are pretty together. But another thing I learned at that meeting uh, from one of those lovely women that we would, these older women who have such great wisdom, um, I heard somebody share something one night that was pretty much everything my sponsor had said not to do. And so I was kind of confused. And I turned to one of the older women and said, what do I do with this information? And she leaned over and she said, we just have to remember that there are wing nuts in AA. And you don't have to apply everything you hear. You know, what fits, what's right, you'll know. You can, you know, sort of discern and trust your sponsor. Uh, so that was really, that was a really key moment for me. I can, I say to friends now when we're at a meeting, you know, there There's are wing, wing nuts, nuts here. And uh, we're all here because we we're not all there. That's we right. are a cross section of society. That's right. That's right. And if you go to any church, if you go to any country club, whatever you want to go to, there are always going to be those people who are wing nuts. Yeah. And you just, you have to love them too and, and understand that they're coming from a different place and, and perhaps love and them. And trust your sponsor. Distance. Trust your sponsor. That's right. You don't have so, to make everybody So I do have friend. a question for you about uh, our interaction. So I'm pretty sure that that was in September of 2002. How long were you sober at that point? Uh, I had come in in June. Okay. So not too long. Yeah, so several months yeah. at that point. And being, you know... That's I, good, because you can yeah. identify with somebody well, new it's, when it's, you're new. It's hugely that. And the other thing that I want to throw out there, though, is had you any clue that at, what, four months sober, three, four months sober, how much help you could be to someone else? I, I didn't care at that point, I don't think. I don't think that was part of my... I think what I was I worried about yeah. was staying sober at that point and probably uh, misery loves company as to a certain extent. <laughs> oh, there's somebody else I know who's miserable. Um, but I wasn't miserable, but it, it was sort of that mentality of um, community that finding people that I can interact with who I know. Um, and that was, that was a gift uh, to see somebody I knew at a meeting. I mean, definitely there really were not people at those meetings that I knew at, at that time. Uh, well, and I've got to throw in that one more bit, too, and, and that was, you know, here I am, a gay guy, and mm -hmm. I'm in this meeting, this mainstream AA meeting. It's not a gay meeting. Mm -hmm. And I see a bunch someone, of bikers. I, yeah, and I, <laughs> and I see someone that I know is another gay man. Mm -hmm. Made um, you more comfortable. It did. It's like, oh, my people are here, too. Yeah. And I think that's a big deal. It is. It is. And I think for some... For some folks, it's really that's that's the beauty of having some of the more specific meetings for gay folks. Mm -hmm. um, is some people really do need that community. I was one of them, and and I think that's important. I, it was for me for a while too. I think they're really important, and I think any meeting. What I decided was that I wasn't going to censor myself at meetings because if anybody had something bad to say, they were probably going to have to deal with the whole group. <laughs> True, <laughs> because yeah. that group. They're, those things were not important. If someone's gay, it was not important. And I have yet to experience where it has been important yeah. in a meeting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I have yet, none of my fears about being a gay man in AA have ever come to fruition. Really, none. Yeah, yes. I haven't either. I've never felt insecure or, or afraid. Um, in fact, the times that I've actually heard things about, you know, issues in families or that sort of thing, where there's a gay person involved. When I've been able to talk to the person after the meeting who had the problem, ends up I was able to be really helpful in those situations, and I'm sure that's been your situation, yeah. your experience too. That's so, interesting because I'm not gay, and I would think that it would be a problem. So I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Well, so were we. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was funny finding a, a straight sponsor that I could <laughs> that I could work with. Uh, I think. Um, I think that's a that's another important thing is you know finding a sponsor who could um, see you in the light that you are rather than necessarily the light of being just gay mm -hmm. or being trans or whatever it is for a certain person um, finding a sponsor who sees you as you are without those judgments attached is um, is important you know mm -hmm. um, but yeah I, I think in general most people aren't worried about that your sexuality isn't my problem. I mean, there's some yeah. straight men who have some crazy sex lives going on out there that they're not my problem. Our problem is alcohol. And if we don't drink, those other things will fall into place okay. 
Those and that's why we're all in those out. meetings together, is to help each other not drink. That's right. That's right. Some men, some men like a, what is it, salt and pepper diet? Some people like a... No, no flavor for his fare, and some, some like, like a, a straight s- pepper diet. That's it. <laughs> well said. Thank you, Sam. <laughs> How does he know book. that? Thanks for joining us. Thank you, especially Jess. Thanks, Jess. It's been fun. Uh, the Boiled Owl Podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. Visit our website at boiledowlaa.org. Leave feedback or ask a question or email give a hoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org. Please note, Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of AA and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services.